Another weekend of OHL hockey in the books, and that means it's time for, I think we'll call this the seasonal virus episode of the OHL podcast. Dan Mahar over there battling. I'm Mike Farwell. Find Dan on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. You'll find me on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. And Dan, I guess it's just because we spend way too much time in hockey rinks. We're going to end up with something (laughs) at this time of year for sure. Yeah, so apologies up front for the lack of a voice here today, but yeah, it's bound to get us all at some point and claimed my voice today. So Yeah, it seems like we're both uh, going through the same thing at a similar time, and I know from my workplace for sure we've had absences galore over the last little bit. So let's dive in. Before we get to our prospects of the week, and, and a lot of fun uh, with an email that came in from Elam, who has found our podcast and is really enjoying it, so we'll get to a response to a question that he had asked around Who are the contenders? Who are the pretenders? As we get awfully close, we're now less than a month away from that trade deadline. But I I think we'd be remiss if we didn't start with the World Juniors. Uh, The rosters announced, obviously, for Canada, the U.S., and and those are most significant, obviously, for those of us here following the Ontario Hockey League. Let's start with Canada's selections. I don't think we're going to find any real surprises here. Benjamin Godreau, goaltender from Sarnia, of course. The returnees in Ethan Del Mastro and Brennan Offman from both Mississauga and Peterborough, respectively. And then Del Mastro's teammate Owen Beck from the Mississauga Steelheads gets invited to the selection camp. And so too does a guy I know we both like in Jack Matier up in Ottawa as a defenseman. We kind of hinted at him last week as a possibility. So what's your take on what we heard from at least Canada by way of selections? Not to mention, of course, the returnees, right? In both Shane Wright and uh, Brant Clark. Yeah, I mean, I think Canada's got a really deep roster and they're leading towards an older roster this year. And as luck would have it at time of recording this pod, we uh, we have news breaking as we go and. I understand that Owen Beck has been released by Team Canada, so that's one returnee to the Mississauga Steelheads. Sounds like the others may may still be with the team. I haven't heard the uh, final wor- word yet, but uh, it looks to me like that's what Canada's angling for. They have the two 17-year-old Dynamos with uh, Bedard and Fantilli. So when you take those two, you tend to load up with the 19-year-olds on the other end. So looks like that's going to be the composition of this roster. And... Uh, Certainly a couple of HL teams are going to be excited for their their kids to get that ch- chance this this Christmas. I know you're a big Beck guy, probably in, in large part because he's drafted his property of a team that you really like in the National Hockey League. But even, even getting the invite to the selection camp, I think, speaks to what this guy has brought to the Steelheads this year. Yeah, and, and I, I, I was not sure that he'd make Team Canada this year just being an 18-year-old, and they've absolutely loaded at center. We knew they pretty much had four locks at center. And then two to three more that are probably going to be shifted to a wing. That doesn't bode well for an 18-year-old center. Um, so probably behind the eight ball to start. And then just getting the two uh, games against U Sports teams to try and make it. So uh, good experience. Like you said, I think what really appeals to to Team Canada for a player like him is just the 200-foot game. He's, uh, you know, you put him in the bottom six. He You can put him on in any situation, win the big draws. So hopefully that experience will help him down the road. But uh, there's just... Uh, front load of skill this year and uh, I guess no spot for for a center that might have to shift to a wing well and speaking of the front load of skill for team Canada this year and obviously I'm not about to disagree with that I don't think anybody would but we've been critical and I think fairly of the Seattle Kraken for their handling of Shane Wright I it's it's hard to really figure out the method to the madness there but Wright seemed to be finding his game 
a little bit in the uh, American Hockey League. Then, <laughs> of course, he gets back up with the big club, gets his first NHL goal. So things seem to be trending in the right direction for Shane Wright. And if you're a fan of Team Canada at the junior hockey tournament, you've got to love the fact that Wright is going to be a part of this club again this year. Yeah, and you know, Wright's a bit of an enigma with his development so far because he was criticized for not really going anywhere serious to play during the pandemic when the OHL was shut down. People thought that set him back. And then this year, he really hasn't had much playing time. And there's kind of two schools of thought on that, one being that it's just going to further hinder him. The other being that just being in that environment, practicing with pros, watching um, can help. And I think Shane Wright, to some extent, answered that so far with his performance in the AHL. And then coming back to the Seattle lineup just before going to Halifax to join Team Canada. So we'll see what he's got in store at the World Juniors. But certainly the early returns might be that that kind of step back and reset in the first half of the year has maybe helped him. We will no doubt be talking about Shane Wright more in in the next bit when we get into Elam's email to us. But before we leave Team Canada specifically, I want to I want to talk a little bit about Brennan Offman as well. Again, along with Ethan Del Mastro from the O, a guy that's been returning, been returned to the Team Canada. And I wonder, look, Offman's performance has been fairly consistent, but the Pete's since that trade have not been great. And I wonder if this opportunity for Offman to play with the best of his peer group again is going to be something that ignites that fire in him for the second half. I'm sure that the Peterborough Peets are hoping to see that happen. Yeah, well, he spoke uh, about being excited to be reunited with his buddies Shane Wright and Brant Clark at camp. And it's going to ignite something in him because things have not gone this year as as he would have liked, Um, certainly from a team perspective in Peterborough since the trade. So I think you're going to see that spark come back to him. And I'm pretty sure the Peterborough Peets are going to be looking on with keen interest here because I think something's needed there. That spark's needed and being, uh, being in that environment might just do it for him. The question becomes, does his buddy Shane Wright end up back with him in Peterborough? Again, put a pin in that. We'll come back to it in just a moment. One of the things that we didn't hear a lot of, unless I missed it, around the Team Canada selection camp this year was a whole lot in the way of criticisms or oh my gosh how could you have overlooked player x or y however i will say and i'm i'm sure i'm speaking for a lot of ontario hockey league fans here when i say it's tough for me to figure out other than the very obvious politics involved but it's really tough for me to figure out dan how it is that ty voigt doesn't even get an invite to team usa selection camp just give him a look well, well, you look at that roster, right? We, we've known that politics play heavily into the U.S. selection, and we know that they, they heavily favor kids that stay and play in the U.S. There's one forward from the OHL got invited to that camp, and that's Tyler Boucher of the Ottawa 67s. And my humble opinion is when you see one player from the entire league at the caliber of the OHL invited, it tells you all you need to know about where they're looking. So there, there's not to say there aren't uh, concerns with Ty Voigt's game uh, all around, uh, Sarnia Sting have have been strong this year, but pretty much run and gun, giving up a lot of goals, scoring a lot of goals. Clearly, they're seeing something uh, in that game that they didn't see as a fit. But I think we'd uh, we'd have to, you know, we'd be remiss not to suggest that maybe there's a little bit of a, a southern bias there. I, I think there's a bigger picture conversation to be had here too, and I've been hearing about this more this year than I can recall in recent memory and 
So I don't know. Am I more tuned into it? Are people actually talking about it more? I don't know. I'm just going to put that out there anecdotally. However, the anecdotal evidence points me to more and more conversations around the idea that, yes, the Ontario Hockey League is still the number one development league in the world. However, it had best be very aware that its status as that number one development league in the entire world is maybe not in jeopardy, but it's being challenged. And look, I think the U.S. National Development Team program in and of itself is something that the Ontario Hockey League should be acutely aware of. Obviously, the U.S. thinks, and it's going to give priority to those players that play for the U.S. DNTP, so I, I get that. US and DTP is where it goes. But I, so I get they're going to show bias to that. But we're seeing more and more kids opt for the NCAA route and, and graduate out of there into pro careers as well. So it, it's, it's going to be interesting because the US is clearly, and look, if you're going to invest in a program like the US and DTP, of course, you're going to prioritize players that come through that program to play for your national teams. And that's why a Voight would be overlooked or, or left behind leave him on the scrap heap he's playing over there in that league that that we're tending you know we're, we're deciding to not pay as much attention to not give as much credit to as as team usa performs at these international tournaments i, I think will be indicative of how well that program is working out and i don't know if it changes at any point down the road but we know that politics are involved right now. I think, though, bigger picture, the Ontario Hockey League should be acutely aware of of those leagues out there trying to to threaten its status as the number one. Yeah, and I think it puts more spotlight on a topic we talked about earlier about coaching is these kids are really acutely aware of the quality of coaching they're going to get. And if you're a franchise who is not necessarily getting that high-end development in coaching, this is when you got to step up and because you're going to have trouble recruiting kids. And now with the world juniors and the American team too, there's, there's the whole dynamic where they clearly value um, gelling and, and some familiarity over the short tournament. So they'll, they'll take the lower risk of taking kids who have pl played for the U S national development team program to just from familiarity. They know what they're getting. They know what they do in short tournaments. They know how the puzzle pieces fit. Uh, even Tyler Boucher, the one uh, OHL or to make that forward roster, transferred over from there. So he's got some familiarity there as well. So that's something that they clearly put high priority on. But in terms of your question about the competition between leagues, I think 100% you, if you're an OHL organization now, the pressure has been ramped up more than ever to have the right staff in place. They can establish a track record for turning these players into NHLers because the selection, the, uh, the stakes are too high now for these families and family advisors to allow their kids to go somewhere where they're not sure they're going to develop. Yeah, it's a great point. And those stakes are incredibly high when you look at the potential uh, futures at careers of these of these players from and it's so hard. Again, we're talking about guys that are, you know, 16 to 20 years of age. And it, it's it's as critical a time as that is for a player's development. It's also still like talk to any pro scout and they'll tell you, you know, you're watching kids from the time they're 15 trying to project their future NHL prospects before they're 19 years old it's in some ways it's a mugs game but these years are so important for the development overall yeah absolutely and you can't lose a year in there you can't lose six months in there um you'll see people pass you by and 
to give a couple OHL examples, like at the start of this year, who would have thought that Cam Allen might not have been invited to Team Canada's camp or might not be on these and has, has really slid fairly or unfairly due to a couple not great months. So people are watching, people are keeping close tabs. And if you want to hold on to your rung in that ladder or even ascend, you've got to be in the right environment with the right people helping you out. And there's never been more scrutiny than now. Okay, let's go to the email that we received from Elam this past week. And by the way, we love your emails. We respond to all of them. So anytime you want, ohlpodcast at rogers.com is the email to use. Uh, hey guys, love the podcast. Found it a couple of weeks ago, searching for a pod covering all things OHL. Appreciate you guys. Keep up the good work. Elam, thank you very much for that. Flattery will indeed get you everywhere. Uh, okay, so he goes on to say, with a third of the season in the books and the trade deadline just a month or so away, we are getting into the really exciting part of the season. I'm really curious to find out over the next month and a bit who is on a championship run this year and what teams are just kind of hanging around right now. I feel like any team in the league can win on any given night, which is great, but it makes me wonder who are the contenders and who are the pretenders? I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on that very subject in a segment on the podcast about that question it's a good time for the question elam and again thanks very much for sending it to us ohl podcast at rogers.com we are at this point dan as we mentioned a moment ago and as elam notes we're just under now a month away from the january 10th trade deadline here's one of the things the big questions that i'm asking right now at this stage who is the next big fish and obviously where does that fish end up landing because really when you when you look at you know a Sasha Pastajov already being traded a Brennan Othman already being traded teams seem to me look it it may seem trivial or insignificant given some of the names but an OHL champion goaltender and Marco Costantini has already been moved this year so I'm starting to look around asking myself what other names besides the obvious Shane Wright coming from the juniors, we fully expect he'll be back to the OHL and moved by Kingston to somewhere. But really, with the teams seem to be making moves to me anyway earlier. It might be a quieter next few weeks this year, or I could be way off base. No, it's, it's really hard to tell. And yeah, thanks, Elam, for the email. That's uh, It's been a challenging question for us this year because usually by now it's clarified and I think in the East, Mike and I both agree that the contenders are starting to clarify. Like we said at the start of the season, you've got North Bay, you've got Mississauga, Ottawa's clearly in there now. And then there's the juggling act between uh, Peterborough and Barry, who expected to be better than they are. West, it's still not clarified for me. I think there's uh, there's no team that jumps out against as definitely a contender without some holes. So I think the concept of who moves between now and the deadline is really going to help clarify that. And I would suggest that the the big fish out there, Mike, might not be a trade to come necessarily. Obviously, the Shane Wright one, if it materializes. But I think uh, you're going to see some interesting names come on the market. We already know that Andre Molnar is coming back to the Riotters as of now, based on how his season has gone in Slovakia. Um, but the big one I might pose is Brant Clark. Sounds like he's going to come back to the Barry Colts. And the Barry Colts have not been great this year, starting to get a little momentum. We know the roster looks better on paper than it has been on the ice so far. That's a big piece, Dad. So they're debating whether or not they're going to contend or sell. Either way, I expect Brent Clark to be the big next big piece. K, 
Okay, that's an interesting one. Let me use by way of comparison, because you say that the Barry Colts look better on paper right now than they're performing on the ice. Fair. Would you not say the same probably about the Kitchener Rangers in the West? Now, the Rangers are starting to get it together. And I said this over the weekend as part of my broadcast that I don't see, and I, obviously I'm much closer to Kitchener, hello, than I am to Barry, but I don't see any way in hell, quite frankly, that Mike McKenzie and the Kitchener Rangers are in sell mode this season because the pieces are, if I don't know how you, because I don't know how you sell the sell, quite frankly. You're going to tell your fan base that you're going to take a step back now. Yeah, it's, it's all fun and games to talk about as armchair GMs. Yeah, we're going to move this guy for picks and that guy for picks and this guy for a young player, whatever, but you're essentially saying for the next two years, then brace yourself because it's going to be a little bit bumpy. Whereas you have all the pieces right now in Kitchener. No, they're not until the last week or so. They haven't been meeting preseason expectations, but I look at the Rangers now, four wins in a row, still some key pieces out, enough in the cupboard to make an addition. I, I think you're still adding to this team the Kitchener Rangers in, in the West. So I, I don't know what the situation is as well in Barry, but I would, I would make the comparison between those two teams based on what you just said about the Colts. Yeah. Very fair comparison. I think a lot of Kitchener Ranger fans might not be thrilled to hear this because there's a lot <laughs> in the cell camp, sell, sell, sell. They've been disappointing. I'm right with you. I think that Mike McKenzie clearly thought it would be an ad year and with good reason made a little bit of noise in the playoffs last year, returned almost the entire roster added Tomas Hamara, Philip Mishar, Hunter Gustavich on the back end, added some key pieces. And then early in the year, clearly um, Mike McKenzie felt that this would be an odd year because he went out and got Marco Costantini. So he's already tipped his hand on how he's thinking right now. So I'm right with you. I, I know things have not been solid on the ice this year for Kitchener. We see the four, four game winning streak right now, which is encouraging for them. But uh, I can't see Mike McKenzie selling this year because you can't sell that many guys. You're not going to totally erode a 18 and 19 year old roster. You're not going to be better next year for that reason. So I think he sees regardless of what's gone on so far this year, he's probably going to add and think that this is a team that could make some noise if they get it together at the right time of year. Okay. Let's, let's start with a little bit more on the East. It looks to me obvious. Like you, you mentioned Oshawa or pardon me, Ottawa and Mississauga as teams that are, there but they it's not like they've been busy on the trademark but absolutely teams that sh are showing that they can be and and will be competitive for this season whether or not they add now i don't know peterborough and north bay have already asserted themselves as teams that are willing to make deals for my money it looks to me like the north bay battalion are the team that are most kind of invested in this like Adam Dennis just seems to tinker with the roster. It's almost a constant thing for him. But where, what other teams do you see, if any, on the Eastern side adding to keep up with the arms race that I think right now North Bay and Peterborough are most involved in? Yeah, honestly, I see uh, the Ottawa 67s adding because they still have an import spot and an overage spot, and they've been far better than expected. And I think that when that happens, you get this concept setting in of they want to reward the kids that are there, reward them for the hard work, reward them for buying into the system. They've proven they can play with anyone. So I would, I would set those two apart, Mike, and say, yes, the North Bay Battalion for sure. Um, but I, I see the Ottawa 67s adding. Is there any way that either 
well, let's let's assume Brant Clark comes back and stays in Barry. Obviously, I I can't imagine. Like, okay, no, let me start the question again. If both Shane Wright and Brant Clark are coming back to the Ontario Hockey League, do they get dealt within the Eastern Conference? Well, I, I think it comes down to that age-old what's the offer, right? And and prices so far this year have not been quite as high as we've seen in the past few years. Um, so it's a bit of a shell game there. I I think Barry is, and your, your comparison to Kitchener was great because I think they're in a very similar situation where the, the GM really felt he'd be in a different position at this time of year in this season. So now what is the smartest move for the team? And you look at what uh, Pavel Minchikov's done for Saginaw this year, and I think you, you're the GM and Barry. You might look at that and say, is Brant Clark the same thing? Is that adding that kind of a piece that we're suddenly three, four spots up in the standings just from one player? So I, I am not sure there. I don't have any great insight other than to say that I think it's going to take a bigger offer to pry Brant Clark than we've seen uh, with the Othman and Bloom trades and, and so far. Yeah, that, it's so interesting to look at the the prices so far compared to what we've seen in the past. And obviously, the closer we get to the deadline, the higher the prices tend to be. Okay, so we've got North Bay, Peterborough for sure, Ottawa likely to make an addition. These are definitely along with Mississauga and Barry kind of on that bubble as your contenders in the East. We haven't even mentioned the Sudbury Wolves yet. No. I don't know that you want to, you know, start waving a white flag when you've got the likes of Goyette, Musty, and company on that hockey club. And look, they're celebrating a 50th anniversary up in Sudbury. I would say the same about Sudbury as I would say about the Peterborough Peets. I think they kind of need one, Dan. Like they need something to to ignite that fan base again. Yeah, and it's kind of a show-me thing there too, right? Where they've had some promise in recent seasons and it's not quite materialized with some of the big names they've had up there, you know, Quentin Byfield and the like. So... They really do need something. I think Derek McKenzie's given them a bit of a spark. I think it's a lunch pail team there where on some nights when they have it together, you're like, whoa, what just hit us? So they can make some noise if they string it together. The roster's still a little bit thin this year to be playing with the big boys, so to speak. But who do they add? Do they bring in something? They've they've shown they're, they're okay being bold, uh, acquiring the rights to to Michael uh, Hag. Some There's... There's an instinct there, I think, that they got to reward the fans. So maybe a bit of a wild card there. That's why I threw them out there. I think I think that might well be the case. But it's interesting now, all of this conversation is around the East. And you and I have talked about that balance of power maybe being in the East right now. Here's my big question to you, Dan, about the West. And, and it's simple. Which team blinks first? Which team in the Western Conference honestly blinks first? Dave Drinkle has shown... A, an interest in tweaking his roster. And, you know, even when he trades away his captain, you're thinking, okay, Saginaw saying, we know it's a next year thing for us. They acquire Hunter Hate as a next year piece, but the spirit after trading their captain still had their nine game winning streak. Like they're, they're still at the top of the Western conference where nobody expected them to be. The London Knights have had an eight game winning streak just snapped before we, you know, in, in the past week. So but that team, having started out so near the bottom and every they were struggling and everybody said, well, there's no offense there and this and that. Well, they're right back kind of where you'd expect them to be. You look at that Owen Sound roster and you're asking yourself, you know, do these guys, you know, the, the great young guns need some veteran presence on there. I'm just looking around. We talked about the Kitchener Rangers at length already. 
Sarnia's already gone out and, and made a move. Windsor is is not embarrassing itself, even coming off an OHL championship. Every team in the West, it seems, has these two or three good enough players to make an impact on any given night. And I think that's why we see that level of parity. I think I, I didn't look today. I should have. But we're talking about a six-point gap between first and sixth in the Western Conference. That's not a whole lot of space in there. But which of the teams in the West blinks first because somebody's got to stand up and say forget the two or three good players on every team we're going to go out and get one or two more really good players to help our side over the top in this western conference yeah and i think i just based on rumblings and things i'm seeing i think uh, both guelph and owen sound were expected to be better and i think owen sound still sees a window next year uh, they haven't quite pieced it together so i'm going to move away from those teams and throw the two at you that i think might blink I think the Windsor Spitfires, <clears throat> pardon me, and the Flint Firebirds both might be looking to do something. Flint, because they were expected to contend this year and they made the Othman move, still in every game, still lots of firepower, want to reward those fans. I can see them blinking. And then the Windsor Spitfires, there's some precedent for teams that went to the finals the year before, waiting and seeing. Is a rebuild year? Is it try and get one more kick at the can here? I, I don't think Windsor felt they'd be quite as good as they were, but they've got a coach in Mark Savard who's done well, who's got, we know, has got pro offers coming. Do you reward the kids for everything they did last year and try and give them one more shot at it in a year where it's wide open? So those would be the two teams, Mike, I think I'd, I'd keep an eye on for blinking. The Flint Firebirds are interesting. Eight and three since the Brennan Othman trade, while the Peets are four and seven since the Brennan Othman trade. And now the Peets will be without Othman, of course, while he's away at the World Juniors. I'm going to throw a dark horse in the West to you too, and that's going to be the Sarnia Sting. And I know, stop laughing. The playoff success has not followed, quite frankly, anything they've tried to do there. But when you've got goaltending the likes of which Sarnia has, when you've got the league's leading scorer in Ty Voigt, when you've got a guy like Nolan Burke, and we can keep running down that roster, Pastajov hasn't, certainly hasn't uh, been out of place with the Sarnia thing. I wonder, I wonder if Dylan Sika might have a, a move or two up his sleeve as a dark horse in that Western Conference. Because again, you use the word wide open, and that's what I think it is in the West, which is really strange for guys that see the West a whole lot more than we see the East. Usually it's just these you know, big powerhouses in the Western conference that frankly, we're just not seeing yet this season. Yeah. That, and that's a great call in a wild card there too, because Sarnia has got a team that that could be a goal for it now with a couple of names you mentioned, Godro and Voight, uh, probably playing their last years in the league. You, you need to buffer that. And um, just seeing the way things have gone for them this year, you'd have to think they're looking for a little defensive help. So don't want to throw a bunch of conjecture and names out there, but if you look at the trade market, that's probably where they're going to be looking because in come playoff time, some of those power plays don't happen or get shut down. They're going to need to find a way to keep the puck out of the net. Okay. I, I'm always loath for names and name dropping and conjecture too, but I'm going to throw one more out there because I just think, Dan, this is so fascinating and I just want your perspective on it. And that is Pavel Ninchikov. I like this guy's otherworldly this season I there's no doubt in my mind that he is a huge part of why the Saginaw spirit are where they are a third of the way into the season. But knowing that he's not a next year player because he won't be here next year and the Saginaw spirit have full intentions of having a competitive team competitive enough to perhaps 
win a Memorial Cup? Are you keeping Pavel Minchikov so that you can give these guys the feeling of what winning is like and maybe even get a round or two in the playoffs? I mean, again, we're only a third of the way in, but are you keeping them to help get that good feeling going before your run next year? Or given that the price will never be higher, I can only imagine what he would get you in return. Do you, in a month's time, part ways with Pavel Menchikov for a King's ransom? Yeah. And it's a tough one for them because when you wake up and see the standings and you've gotten what you've gotten out of that team, it's a hard thing to take that player away from them and say, by the way, you've done great clipping along at 700 hockey. We're taking the best player away because we don't believe in you. So that's a, a tough message to sell internally, but you said King's ransom and they surely will get some offers that qualify as King's ransom and, Ottawa is one destination I thought made a lot of sense for him and they have the pieces maybe to make it happen. Um, you see a few markets where that might be the case. So I, I guarantee you they're going to, they're going to look at those offers and if the right one comes along, that's a name that could be the biggest fish on the market for sure. Yeah. Something tells me he stays put, but I have, listen, I don't know. I just find it so intriguing given where Saginaw is at and we know what they intend for next year. So it's a, uh, listen, better the you know Dave Drinkle and the rest of the team in Saginaw to deal with this than us because that is going to be a tough tough situation for sure all right uh before we wrap this up let's take a look at our uh, prospects of the week who you got this week I'm gonna gonna not exactly go too far down the well either here Mike and one that I've had my eye on for a couple weeks but was looking for a little bit of improvement in team play team took six of eight points this week and I'm potentially getting a boost that we talked about so my guy this week is Bo Aiki. Um, recently saw him elevated to an A prospect for the NHL draft and kind of does it all, all around, can be the uh, stabilizing back-end presence, skates like the wind, uh, putting up, I believe, 18 points, uh, 0.75 point per game clip already, um, does a lot of things well, kind of a, a, a scouts player, if you will. So my prospect of the week is, uh, is Mr. Aiki. Who have you got? I'm staying on the back end as well and also not going too deep into the well. And I think I should have, well, no, because you've, I think you've mentioned Bo before, if not as a prospect, as an honorable mention, I'm pretty sure I haven't kept a list of the guys that I've gone to week by week, but it's just the perspective of who that week is jumping out. And for me, it's Hunter Brustevich. I think I might've grabbed him before, but obviously I see a lot of them, but here's what intrigues me so much about Brustevich. He starts he, his first game, no points. Then he goes on that 10 game point streak for the Kitchener Rangers, 13 points over that span. And then all of a sudden people are asking what happened to Hunter Brustevich because over the next nine games, he has just one point, but he seems to have found it again. He gets his first goal and two assists in a win over the Erie Otters. And that marked off a nine game stretch during which, Oh, pardon me, a six game stretch during which he's got nine points now in his past six games. So I think he's starting to feel it again. The one thing about it if you want to have a little bit of caution there 13 of his 23 points have come via the power play but look if you want to work the top of that power play and and distribute the puck the way that hunter brustevich does i think a lot of teams would love a quarterback like him his first pass is exceptional he's very cool under pressure and skates well uh hunter brustevich for me is my prospect of the week yeah that's a great call mike i think uh hunter brustevich for my money has been the best kitchen ranger this year and and you know that that 
might speak volumes about him and the team a uh, 17 year old rookie defender that i would put in that category but you're right he does everything you're saying escapes pressure as well as any defender you'll see uh points are coming consistently on on a lot of primary assists for him um without the booming shot speaks to his iq and vision um so two similar players we took this week mike uh, him and boyke very similar design player if you will so we are getting very close to uh, not only the OHL's trade deadline, but also a Christmas break. So here's what's going to happen. Uh, Dan and I are going to do one more of these next week after the league shuts down for the Christmas break. Then we'll take a, a couple of weeks off so everybody can enjoy the holidays and we'll get back at it with uh, some sort of trade deadline special, I guess, because that'll be around the time we'll come back. But we'll be here again next Tuesday before we uh, take a bit of a break. And in the spirit of the season, um, we know it is the 60th anniversary of the Kitchener Rangers this year. It also just so happens to be the 50th anniversary of the Sudbury Wolves. And a young man by the name of Scott Miller has written an excellent, excellent book called Leading the Pack, 50 Years of Sudbury Wolves History. And Scott is going to join us on the podcast on Friday for our feature interview. Yes, it's shameless, but maybe, just maybe, the OHL fan on your list would like a book about the Sudbury Wolves so you can learn all about that. But I don't know if you have any fondness for the for the Wolves. Have you been up to the arena, Dan? Oh, I, I love Sudbury. I love the arena. I love the fans. It's it Love that organization all around. I just... 50 years seems short, though, because that mutt in the ceiling is way <laughs> older than that. Exactly. <laughs> There's a lot to love about it. I, I admit that I didn't love it early on. Uh, the city, the arena, it just felt like this long, wintry trip. But there is a charm associated with it. The Old Rock coffee shop right across the street is worth the drive to Sudbury all on its own. And uh, there's a passion up there for the game. Lots to love about it. So you learn all about that with uh, Scott Miller, the author, our guest uh, for the feature interview on the OHL podcast on Friday. He is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at Tim Wallach, just like the former Montreal Expo. I'm at Farwell underscore OHL on Twitter. And you can send us an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.